and welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Asia Myshak, who is a violinist in the Twin Cities and is on faculty at the St. Paul Conservatory of Music. She also hosts her own podcast, Pour Me a Mozart, and I've been a guest on it a few times, and it's always a lot of fun. Today, we'll be talking about the Miss America pageant. Welcome, Asia. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited, and it's fun to have the roles kind of reversed. Yeah, honestly, you've been my inspiration, so. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> I think what your podcast does so well is try to reach out to people who might not really know classical music or maybe a little bit intimidated by it. And I just was like, oh, why can't we have more of that? Um, yeah, I love it. I love your idea for the podcast too. Oh, thanks. Can you talk a little bit more about yours since we're in the podcast world right now? Sure. Yeah. So it's called Pour Me a Mozart and it's available on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play. And I'm a violinist, but also I have a background in the restaurant industry. I bartend at a pretty fancy like speakeasy inspired bar in lower town St. Paul and I just love the world of craft cocktails I find all of the ingredients just so intriguing and interesting so the idea is to pair a drink and then talk about that drink and then talk about clips of music so I I guess it's demystifying both craft cocktails and classical music because I remember going to a fancy bar this bar is actually closed now because of COVID-19 I know but I was so intimidated by the men that I didn't even really know where to begin. So I'm hoping that this is educational on multiple levels. Yeah. And I mean, certainly there's drinks I've never heard of before. They're tasty. I wanted to say or start talking about our friendship, how we started to know each other. And, you know, we actually haven't even known each other for a year yet. Yeah, that's true. It's close. But it was we met through mutual friends. Watching The Bachelorette. Watching The Bachelorette. Yeah. And hanging out at her pool and getting pizza. And but yeah, I just remember personally. Personally, I was going through kind of a rough time. I was going through a breakup and I just was so grateful to have a community of people that I didn't actually know everyone, but something that is universal is heartbreak. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, that is true. Yeah. You know, I was just really grateful to have met you. You're just an awesome person, awesome friend. Oh, Um, well, thanks. Right back at you. And yeah, of course, like it's, I've been so honored to even be a part of your podcast as well. It's always so much fun to talk about music and drinks. Yeah, it really is. So go and subscribe and listen and support her. Yay. Yes. And subscribe to Patty's podcast too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my funny story about Asia. Okay. Do you want, should I go first or do you want to go first? I kind of have two. Okay. Now that you... Maybe we can sandwich it. So you t- yeah. you say one and then I'll say one and then you say the last one. Okay. Okay. So this first one I was just reminded of because talking about meeting through mutual friends and The Bachelorette and actually I think the very first time I met you we were at Ashley and Kelsey's apartment and the episode of The Bachelorette that night had finished like hours ago and we were all painting our nails and um, had a lot of rosé like a lot <laughs> of rosé <laughs> and we were very deep into girl talk some very personal stuff and and you walked into this fire of like whoa I don't know most of these people and what are we talking about and I just remember being like oh god Patty probably thinks we're insane <laughs> no well no I was I remember that I was like wow they just went they're, we're talking real real stuff right now and I was like there was a lot of wine involved <laughs> <laughs> no but I also I guess like to me it was also like well we all have those questions and we all have those mm-hmm. frustrations and girl talk land so it was like I felt more or less even more included that you weren't shying away from talking about it oh that's good you didn't feel scared well obviously we're still friends right (laughs) 
So that's the first was just that's the first story. What's your story? First impression. Okay. One of my favorite memories was where the Stone Arch String Quartet gave a concert and we went to go bowling afterward and hang oh, out gosh. and got some food. <laughs> Can I tell the story? Yes. <laughs> and for whatever, we were just mostly girls and I guess Jesse was there. I think there. Josh, no, Jesse and Rhea didn't come, but Josh oh. was the one male at the table and there were like maybe 10 women right. or something. Yeah. yeah. And we were all just minding our own business. And this creeper dude from the bar just walks over and just starts I don't even remember what he was saying at this point, but it was just stuff that was like, why do you have the audacity to come over here? And start- Yeah, well, he he put his hand on your shoulder first off. I remember being really creeped out by that and my little defense bristles went up. <laughs> um, and then he apologized for something on the jukebox that right. he had picked. And you were right, like, actually, was- I grew up with these songs too. Like, That's right. Right, because he was like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I chose this song that was too old for your, your, your generation or your, your age. And I was like, yeah, I grew up with this. And also, like you don't know us we're classical musicians like yeah <laughs> what's too old and yeah it was a exactly ageist thing that yeah and yeah and well he came also he again. came over yeah he came over like two or three times and then so after a couple times of him kind of weirdly floating around our table here and there asia was like what's your deal or something like that right You're i like, think what i said was who are you right like because i was giving him you? the stink eye and he called me out for it and i was i just blurted out what i had been thinking because i was like i really want you to go away and it worked. <laughs> and at that moment, I was just like, Asia is someone that needs to be in my corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want me in the other corner. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, just like you voiced exactly what everyone at that table was thinking. And you did it so effectively that he just then disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> he truly did. <laughs> anyway, so that's my, that was my story. I thought you were about to tell my next story, oh. which is actually more about you. But um, Uh-oh. do you remember, because it's around the same time when we played for Celtic Woman oh, and yeah. that bagpiper came oh, on stage, but like the way that he had to warm up sounded like a duck that was farting very a lot while dying. <laughs> and it was just like one of the most awful sounds. And I don't know much about bagpipes. Maybe that's just what they have to do to get going. He sounded nice like once he was playing the actual music, but at first you were like, oh, what is that? And I remember we were sitting across from each other on the stage and I looked up at you and then we were both like, we cannot look at each other right now. <laughs> Well, the thing is for me, the bagpiper was standing behind me. So Asia could see when this bagpiper was about to play, but I couldn't. So I was just... <laughs> you were I, just like, what is that sound? <laughs> and I could never know when it was going to happen. So, and personally, like, good on you, bagpipers. I'm sorry. It's just not one of my favorite instruments. Same. The bagpipes are an intense instrument. Yeah. It has definitely its place in Its the place world. is outside. <laughs> <laughs> Not behind me on stage. Man, bagpipes. Okay, so <laughs> now we're on to the Spitfire questions. Are you okay. ready? I am okay. so excited. Okay, Mozart or Beethoven? Off the cuff, Beethoven. Shostakovich or Prokofiev? Mm. Prokofiev. Netflix or video games? Ah, uh, so I know this is supposed to be Spitfire, but like right now I'm kind of in a rut. Like I just finished a game mm-hmm. and so I'm kind of like down on games and then Netflix too. I'm like, there's nothing that's really grabbing my attention right now. I don't know. It can go either way. Okay. All right. Sorry I'll, for I'll, the non-answer. I'll, I'll give you a pass. Um, okay. Thanks. Basil or cilantro? Ooh, cilantro. Mm, basil. Oh God. Mm, cilantro. <laughs> this is backfiring. <laughs> Okay. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Oh, Harry Potter. Oh, okay. Maybe had I said <laughs> Harry Potter or Star Wars, maybe you would have a problem. Mm, yeah, but it would still probably that. be Harry Potter. Symphony or chamber music? Oh, 
Probably symphony. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Favorite practice room? Mm. Well, I'm finally making my practice space really nice. So maybe my practice space here, like I have cement floors and I finally got an anti-fatigue mat. So now I'm standing on that because I'd been now teaching standing up on this floor for like hours every day. And um, it was just really getting to my joints. So yeah, I have that. I finally bought myself a nice music stand and I have this big mirror that I watch myself practice in and I converted an old TV stand into like where I put my instrument and my music and stuff. And I don't know, it's, it's just awesome. really nice. Yeah, cool. maybe my current space. Favorite professor shout out? Ooh, Dr. Damn Schroeder. He's a little crazy. He taught theory, but I just adored him. Most inspired musical hero of any genre? Michael Jackson. Nice. Most transformative performance experience? Mm. Oh, the very first Twin Cities Symphony concert in 2018, we played Schoenberg's Verklöte Nacht with a string orchestra. And it was very small. There were two people to a part except for cello. I think there were three. Did you have a bassist as well? We did, yeah. And we didn't have much time to learn the music because the decision wasn't made quite fast enough. Yeah, it was just some of the hardest music that I've had to learn super quickly. And I feel like we just really came together as friends. It was nuts, but the product I think was really good. Yeah, especially when organizations are just getting going too. I find mm-hmm. it similar that you really build a camaraderie, com- oh Jesus, camaraderie <laughs> with one another because you're all trying to make the best product possible. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. The last question is, what's the next piece you want to learn? Ooh, Prokofiev's second violin concerto. There's a lot of big repertoire that I don't know. And, you know, not having concerts coming up, I was like, I can just work on whatever I want. So I ordered it and I I still haven't gotten to it because my practicing has dwindled (laughs) during quarantine. So I'm trying to build up my practice time and like study it a little bit before I dive in and like do a bunch of things wrong. (laughs) Nice. That's also uh, such a beautiful piece too. It is. It really is. So yeah, that concludes the Spitfire questions. You survived. I survived. You made it through. <laughs> so the next thing I wanted to sort of ask you is sort of how, what was your introduction to the music world? Why music? Why classical music? Yeah, I guess my mom is a trained composer. She was in her master's program while she was pregnant with me. And actually she was taking classes with Dr. Dam Schroeder. Fun. They did not have the same relationship oh, that okay. I had with Dr. Dam Schroeder. <laughs> Eating my I mean, he's a quirky dude. So it was kind of inevitable that I would become a musician. That's just kind of how I think about it. When I was born, I got taken home from the hospital and my dad instantly put little baby Asia on a drum set and I was like drumming. Um, mm -hmm, There's a picture of it. I'll have to see if my mom can find it. Ooh, I would love that. Also, my parents met playing in a band and my grandparents met at voice lessons at college. They had back-to-back lessons. I think their teacher set them up to be that way. But it's just like a long-running thing in my family and especially on my mom's side of the family there's a lot of musicians and my mom actually always thought I would play the flute because when I was real little she was working with a flutist she was writing music for flute and I was just mesmerized by the flute I still love the flute but there was an older girl at church that played the violin and she played some of her Suzuki stuff one Sunday morning and I was like I want to be like Audrey which is funny because her younger sister Brenna played the flute so I don't oh. I don't know but I was like I want to be like Audrey and so I started taking lessons with her teacher when I was four and I just kind of never looked back. I don't stop, won't stop. Yeah. And why classical? I don't know. I'm just very drawn to like, I'm a traditionalist, I guess. I see. 
So I, one of my questions was learning that you kind of came from a musical family. Did you ever feel pressure to do it in any way? Did you feel like, or that you had to live up to something in any way? Neither of those, but I did feel for a long time, like my only value was in my music. And it was kind of an identity crisis in my, I guess this started in middle school because I also played the trumpet in middle school and high school. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I didn't pick the flute. No idea. I just thought the trumpet would be fun, I suppose. But I guess it's not too late, Asia. You can always <laughs> pick up the flute. It's not too late. And we do I, have I friends that play flute. Yes, this is true. <laughs> no, it's one of my things when I get my real orchestra job is I'm going to buy a nice flute and then like do that on the side because, you know, I'm going to have so much time once I'm not auditioning, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know when another pandemic's going to swing. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but so I mean- it, it was an identity crisis. So there was one summer I was at my grandparents' house in Crookston and I had this weird allergic reaction and my fingers and my lips swelled up and I felt so sick and I went to the doctor and they basically just prescribed me a whole bunch of Benadryl and a whole bunch of Claritin but I kept thinking like people only care about this because I can't play the violin or the trumpet right now like that's how I felt about that and of course it's not true but it did seem like my only value was in playing music yeah, I think a lot of us share similar similar sentiment sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've certainly grew up thinking like, well, no one will be my friend unless I'm a good cellist sort mm-hmm. of thing. But that's a different level from my experience to your experience, right? That's I mean, I don't think so. But it was especially in my adult years, coming to terms with me being a musician is more about the things that I am outside of music. Yeah. It's kind of your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I it just, I think that that's, I don't know. I went through school for so long that I pigeonholed myself and I didn't realize that there's way more to me than just music. Well, I, I also wanted to point out that you recently got a clarinet too, right? During COVID? I did. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't been practicing it very much, but I was thinking like maybe tonight after the podcast, I'll do that. <laughs> but I've always had an interest in other instruments and it's harder than I remember it being when I played it in high school, like very briefly. Yeah. Yeah. Can I talk about your injury? Yeah. So Asia, last summer, you were washing a dish I, yeah, I was watching a wine glass to make a profile picture for the podcast. Oh. And the stem broke in my hand and severed a nerve. So I had surgery. Actually, I was just thinking about this this morning because it's been, you know, it's closing in on a year since this happened. And I still don't have a whole ton of feeling in that part of my finger. Really? And it's a very important finger to violin playing. First finger is kind of the anchor for everything and you can't really avoid using it. So I don't it's feel like... It's on your left hand as well, right? on my That's left hand, yeah. yeah. So I don't feel like it hindered me as much as it did at first because it was also extremely swollen and especially after surgery and when I got the splint off it was very swollen mm-hmm. but yeah I guess that's my injury I bring that up because that's not the first time I don't know if I've told you this but that's not the first time I've heard of someone getting their nerve severed by washing dishes oh <laughs> not a musician but mm-hmm. he was telling me that I think for him it was his pinky on his left hand um, that he was drunkenly washing a glass and it broke in his hand and also I think he has very limited mobility in that. Um, Did he get surgery? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, but it's, you know, but he's not a musician, so it's not for him. It's like, well, it sucks, but it's not like the worst Mm -hmm. thing in the world that can happen. And I remember when he was telling me about this, he was like, yeah, the emergency doctor told me that, you know, in the future, you should really wash with rubber gloves. Um, Mm -hmm. I do that all the time now. Mm -hmm. So I instantly bought rubber gloves and I started washing my dishes that way. It broke my heart when I heard about that happening to you because I was like, I could have told someone. (laughs) 
<laughs> or art well, who would know? Like when I worked in the restaurant, what I was doing was actually drying it. And oh. we did that countless times. We had wine racks that held like 24 glasses and we had to polish each of them before we could put them away or put them on the table. Right. So I would probably polish thousands of wine glasses during my time and nothing ever happened. So I wouldn't have thought twice about it. However, I also, I'll wash other dishes after I've been drinking, but I will not wash my stemware if I've been drinking. I leave it for the next morning, which is weird for me because right. I like a clean sink. But yeah, <laughs> but I mean, well, obviously with your, with this experience, you don't want to as I pour more wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you, it seems like more people should know that you can really potentially injure, that it's actually more common than you may think. Mm-hmm. So I guess my like PSA today is, you know, wear rubber gloves. Yeah. Wear rubber gloves when you wash your dishes. I want to circle back for a second and just, I know we talked a lot about Pour Me a Mozart. Did you want to talk about what else you do as a faculty member at uh, St. Paul Conservatory or any of your current, any projects that that you have coming up? Yeah, so the conservatory is pretty new to me. I had been teaching at my own home studio, but it, it just kind of got to a point where I was like, I really want my students to have a community where there are older students and more advanced students and also younger beginners. I want them to see all spectrums because I, I have a batch of students that are all in around the same place, like late book one, starting book two, and they do a great job, but I want them to see what else is out there. So the conservatory has a Suzuki group class class where each Saturday they get together with kids around their book level. And I'm all about community in my teaching. I really want to build a tight community. So I think it works really well for me to be team teaching with all of these other Suzuki teachers who are also leading group classes and stuff. But then they'll also get to see these more advanced students at they have group recitals and they have solo recitals. But it's also really nice to not have to deal with all the payment stuff anymore. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. But also everyone there is just so welcoming and the culture and community within the administration and all the teachers is just so great. They also have a really beautiful location and they encourage faculty members to perform with each other. So I mean, great. my my heart is equally in teaching and performing and being able to put the two of those together at the place where I'm teaching totally sold me. Yeah. As far as what's coming up, it's hard to say because we don't really know when this quarantine thing is going to end, but I am principal second violin in the Buffalo Community York Buffalo, Minnesota, not New York. Hmm. Um, I know people ask me of, that all the time. There's a lot of cities in Minnesota that have other cities in other states. Oh, totally. Like yeah. Austin, Rochester. Rapids, Rochester. Yeah. yeah. We just ripped them all off. <laughs> but they just sent out the season plan for our 2021 season. So I'm hoping that happens. I really miss seeing everyone each Sunday. I also, the week that quarantine started, was supposed to do an audition for a Thursday musical with my friend Hannah Height, who plays the harp. So we we have a clarion duo, harp and violin, and we just got word that they're going to take video submissions. So we're kind of working towards that ooh, right now. Ooh, 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 yay. Yeah, to have some potential of some sort of season next year. So we're hoping... Fingers crossed. Yeah, we're hoping that works for us. Otherwise, there are a lot of opportunities that I've come up with, and Hannah's always on board to do whatever. She just loves chamber music and loves playing with people. So I'm really glad to have a partner like that. Yeah, awesome. What age range do you teach? Elementary school. I have 
some students who are starting middle school and I have one high school student. So I just don't have a lot of experience with the older kids, Mm -hmm. but I am a control freak. So I like to get them at the beginning and then I know what they know and all of their downfalls. And I don't have to undo any other teaching or transfer students can be tricky because sometimes they have so much respect for their other teacher and either their other teacher wasn't qualified or B, the other teacher was totally qualified, but the kid just wasn't listening. So then you get where I'll try to correct a bow hold, for example, and they'll be like, well, Miss so-and-so said this. And I'm like, "Mm, I know Miss so-and-so, and and I'm sure she did not. But if that's how you heard it, then I guess I'll have to figure out how to work with you on that. Right. Or it's like, is Miss so-and-so in the room with you right now? No. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. So my youngest right now is five. And I do, there's something about the younger beginners that they just have so much joy and excitement. And you can play these fun, totally stupid games with them. And they just love them. So I like having that kind of creative outlet too. Basically, you're sprouting the next generation of classical music lovers, mm-hmm. even if they don't even become performers. It's right. just at, that's where arts and humanities is so important to understand. Of course, I'm biased, but. Well, it, I mean, it's true. And we're going to get into the Miss America stuff later. But that was a big question for me because my platform when I was competing was music education. Mm-hmm. And a typical onstage question would be something like a school has to cut one of these programs, physical education or music, which should go. And it's like. In three seconds, you have to say something intelligent and not that make... That is tough. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a great opportunity to take a like pause break to leave you in suspense of what Asia's answer would have been. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back. So before the break, we were talking to Asia about what she would answer if posed the question, if a school had to cut funding for one program, would it be physical education or music? So Asia, how did you answer that question on the stage of the Miss America pageant? Well, first off, I never went to Miss America. (laughs) I just realized that I needed to edit that. (laughs) Yeah. So this was asked to me at the local and the state level. And it was a question that came up a lot. So I worked through it with my coach. But you know, so many kids are in sports anyway. Where are they going to get that musical outlet if it isn't offered in school? That's true. And music is so all-encompassing. You don't just learn music. You learn artistry. You learn other languages. You learn how to communicate with people. You learn how to work in a group. There's so much more to it than just simply learning how to play an instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my answer is music. And the thing too is that, of course, physical exercise and physical education is important, but it's also like not the end-all be-all solution of that either. It's, it's also nutrition, under, you know, understanding mm-hmm. nutrition. And I think that's where, or maybe a previous generation thought, oh, you just have to like exercise and then you'll just be fine. It's like, no, you actually have to fuel your body with the right nutrients. Exactly. And, and then when you decide not to, then you can balance that in another way, sort of. Thing. Well, and parents are so much more willing to put money into their kid playing a sport. Right. We actually had at my high school, the Athena Award. And it, no, 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 AAA. Athena was all sports, but AAA was one boy and one girl were picked for the award each year and it was for arts athletics and academics and you had to be you had to succeed in all three to get the triple a award oh i see that could be a great segue to talk about the miss america pageant because sure. there's three categories that you have to excel oh in. there's more than three. Oh. we'll talk about that would you like to hear the history of the miss america yes, absolutely. organization please asia professor asia i thought you were gonna call me queen of the world oh that's right oh <laughs> i forgot <laughs> 
Okay, queen of the world, please tell us about the Miss America pageant. I would love to. So the Miss America organization started in Atlantic City in 1921 as a way to extend tourism to the weekend past Labor Day. So they were trying to get people to stay for this thing. Margaret Gorman was the very first Miss America. And at the time, Miss America was nothing like it is now. It was only a swimsuit competition and you had to submit your headshot to the paper to be considered. And so it was basically judging solely on looks. And actually it wasn't called Miss America right away. That was something that they came up with that name, I think, near the end of Margaret Gorman's year as Miss America. And maybe she didn't even have it. I mean, Miss America now is so different than it was then. I think you like won the crown and then you went home and you were just, you know, Margaret Gorman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And actually I just learned today that they had something similar to this for one or two years prior to 1921 when they finally decided to call it Miss America. And it was very similar. But I think the reason they called it Miss America is because they opened it up to everyone in the United States. So in the early days of Miss America, there were delegates from both cities and states. So I think there one year was a Miss Minneapolis and a Miss Minnesota at Miss America, which is weird to think about. And if you look back at older winners from the very early years in the 20s and 30s it's not always like miss philadelphia won a few mm-hmm. times okay i was speaking of oh, i can't remember her name but there is one woman that won twice very early in miss america's history she's that's from not, ohio that's not val that you can't do that anymore you can't right? do that anymore she actually yeah. competed a third year and her third year she was first runner-up not the winner hmm. and after that they decided yeah you can only win once and actually now you can only even go to miss america once once Yeah. So talent was introduced in 1935 and it was an optional category worth 25% of the score and it became mandatory in 1938. Wait, so why wouldn't someone want it if it was worth 25% of the scoring? Why would it when it was optional? Sorry, you would think. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Okay. I wrote this in the wrong order and I made an arrow. But anyway, so we're going to go back in time. There was not a pageant from 1928 to 1933 because of the Great Depression. But there's been a pageant every year since, minus this year. We'll we'll get to that later. I was wondering. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. When I was doing some research, yeah. In 1948, BP Shop became the first Miss Minnesota to win the title of Miss America. We've had three Miss Minnesotas who have won Miss America. And her year is extra special because, remember, this is 1948, so this is about 30 years into the pageant's history. Mm -hmm. She was the first Miss America to be crowned in an evening gown. Prior to that, they had all been crowned in their swimsuits. Swimsuits. I've heard her speak about this a couple times, and the story is quite funny. They they actually wanted all of the top five to be wearing evening gowns when they announced the runners-up and the winner. One time she told the story, she said that they had everyone but her backstage. They told them, wait, before you go on, uh, we need you four to change into swimsuits. Uh, You, BB, you can stay in your evening gown. And she was like, what did I lose? But like, clearly, if you're one of the five that does something different, like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. But she also later said that she knew she was going to win, like, even before that. I think someone had told her, like, maybe it was really rigged back in the day. I'm not sure. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds a bit shady. Yeah. So, so Miss Minnesota can claim we have the first Miss America who was crowned in an evening gown, which is what you typically see. The pageant had been broadcast on the radio prior to 1954 when it was televised nationwide and it broke viewing records from coast to coast. And a lot of people remember Burt Park singing There She Is, Miss America as like their first television memory. So it's very iconic. 
Yeah. From especially that time period. Mm-hmm. I had heard about this in 1985. 1985 was the last time that they printed in the program book the bust, waist, and hip measurements of all of the contestants. And I think they also included their weight because I remember talking to... So I competed both at Miss Minnesota and Miss Louisiana because mm-hmm. I was going to grad school in Louisiana. And I met this fabulous woman who... She was quite a bit older, but she had competed at Miss Louisiana. And she told me that she had to submit her measurements. And she actually had to lie about her weight because she was, I think, under 90 pounds. Oh. And so she had to say that she was heavier than she was, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, Miss what, Judy, that was her name. Why would that be important for people to know about their measurements and weight? At I don't know. It was just a very antiquated thing. And we'll get into even more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So to, to continue. In 1987, Kaylani Ray Rafko won Miss America. She was a registered nurse. I think the first nurse to win win Miss America. And she did so much work promoting the nursing profession and hospice care that the organization as a whole decided that everyone who competes was required to have a platform. So before this, like sure, Miss America might have championed something throughout her year, but this two years later is when you had to have a platform to compete even at the local level. Okay. Cool. So the next year, um, in 1988, actually she was Miss America in 1989. Um, hmm. So they post-dated the pageant for a while. So like you would win in September 1988, but you'd be Miss America 1989, which I guess makes sense because then you only have like three months in 1988. That's like the presidency. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So Gretchen Carlson won. She was Miss America 1989. And she's the most recent Miss Minnesota to have won Miss America. And she's one of three Dorothy Benham in the 70s. I think 79 is the other. And Gretchen Carlson is the only violinist and string player to have ever won the national title. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. No Did other you... violinist has ever won. Is is there footage? I'm, sh- I'm assuming there's footage. Oh, yes. Yes. She played Zigunarizen by Sarasate. Oh, oh mm-hmm. wow. And I think when she won, talent was like three minutes long or two and a half. We'll talk about that more too. And actually, I studied with Mary West, Gretchen Carlson's teacher. So I saw Gretchen's Miss America portrait in Mary's lesson room wall. And I looked at that and I was like, man, what if, what if someday I could compete in a real pageant like that? Was that the, that sparked your drive to even get involved in this? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I had, before I started taking lessons with Mary, I had competed in National American Miss, which is a totally different ball game. It's more of a for-profit thing. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later too. So in 2005, they added a little sister program, Miss America's Outstanding Teen. And in 2006, the pageant for the first time ever was held in January instead of September. So that's when they went to, you you were crowned Miss America 2006 in 2006. And actually, Jennifer Berry from Oklahoma won in 2006. And then Lauren Nelson from Oklahoma won in 2007. So they were back-to-back Miss Oklahomas. And at the time, Miss Oklahoma was tied for the most Miss Americas of all time. They had six. Wow. I think California had six. Maybe it was those two states. So in 2008, they made a deal with TLC. So I think it was 2007, Miss America was on country music TV. Oh. They lost their contract with ABC, which they had had since 1954. Do you um, know why? I'm not really sure. It okay. might have been like really late repercussions from the women's rights movement in, okay. in the 60s. And then in 2008, TLC took over and there were a couple years where they were on TLC. And oh, and the pageant was also held in Las Vegas instead of Atlantic City Is that- at the time. Is that when Donald Trump also owned the pageant? Mm, he never owned Miss America. Okay, so... We'll, he... we'll talk about that later, too. Okay. 
So it was on TLC, and they also did a reality show leading up to the competition, which I actually really liked because I watched this show and I got to know the contestants from all the states. I mean, clearly the network had picked out their favorites and you either saw them on finals night or you didn't, but it was nice to get to know not just Miss Minnesota. And then in 2013, Miss America returned to Atlantic City, returned to ABC, and returned to September. And that's when the pageant was held until 2018. Well, it was still held there in 2018. But in 2018, they decided to turn it into Miss America 2.0. And I'm actually going to backtrack a little bit. Miss America did have a lot of antiquated rules. So when I competed, I had to sign a contract that said I had never been married and I had never been pregnant. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, read, yeah, that's what I, I read on the Miss California website. Yeah. And FAQ and now I'm starting to think they're out. They haven't updated their website. That, yeah, I think the contract has updated now. I know for Miss USA, it says you can't have given live birth. So it, at least at the time that I was competing, I never competed in the USA system. But they had even older rules. Like for the first 10 or 15 years of Miss America, you had to be white to compete. <gasps> mm-hmm. I'm so shocked. Yeah. In 1945, Bess Meyerson won, and she was the first and only Jewish Miss America. And this was in the aftermath of the Holocaust, and it affirmed Jewish place in American life. But I also very briefly read today that there was a lot of anti-Semitism directed towards her, specifically because she won Miss America. The first black Miss America was Vanessa Williams. Uh, she was Miss America in 1984. But I think probably Miss America's biggest claim to fame is some scandalous pictures of Vanessa Williams that she took before she competed. Right. So they took her title away. And her first runner up was also black, Suzette Charles. So she became the second black Miss America. In 2001, Angela Perez Baracchio, Miss Hawaii, was the first Asian American to win. And she was also the first teacher to win Miss America. Oh. And then in 2019, for the first time ever, the big three, the Triple Crown pageant, were all black title holders. So Miss America was Nia Franklin, who's also a composer and singer, which is really cool. Miss Teen USA was Kaylee Garris, and Miss USA was Chesley Crist. So it was a pretty big deal for all three of them to be Mm -hmm. national title holders at the same time. So Miss America 2.0. I have feelings. I'm going to try to keep them (laughs) separate from this. But in 2018, they announced that they were taking swimsuit out of the competition. And they announced this at a really weird time. Now, had state pageants happened, everyone would be getting ready for Miss America in September. So you would have already had your crown. You would have competed in swimsuit at your state pageant. And then suddenly they're like, yeah, we're not doing that at Miss America this year. Right. And also some local title holders had already been picked competing in swimsuit. And I think actually it was just, I mean, there's no really good time to announce this because there's always some sort of competition going on. Right. Local state is usually end of May, June, July. I don't think there was a good time to announce it, but it blindsided everybody. Yeah. This is a volunteer. That's what it was first founded on was the swimsuit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Sam Haskell, the CEO, was removed from the board and Gretchen Carlson took over and she and Regina, I don't remember her last name, but the two of them decided to get rid of swimsuit to make Miss America more relevant. And, you know, Mm. this was something when I competed, it was a constant interview question. Why is Miss America relevant? And, you know, I'll talk about the things later that I learned and gained from competing in the Miss America organization. But first and foremost, Miss America is the largest provider of scholarships for women in the world. The world the world. So that alone makes it relevant. Right. 
And actually, last year's Miss Minnesota's Outstanding Teen is a pianist and composer. And she, I think she's starting her senior year of high school next year, but she wants to go to the Manhattan School of Music. And should she get in based on her audition, because of the Miss America organization, she has a full ride at the Manhattan School of Music. That's awesome. Yeah. And the teen program is actually incredible. They have partnerships with so many different universities. Mm -hmm. So like that makes it relevant. Free Mm -hmm. college, free college at a place like the Manhattan School of Music. And that, yeah, that is not a cheap school to go to. <laughs> no. So I think or that alone. Or a cheap alone. city to live in either. Yeah. Oh, right. But having free school definitely helps with the rest of the cost. Yeah. So they got rid of swimsuit and they changed the scoring. And even though I'm still involved in the Miss America organization, I, I haven't bothered to learn what the new scoring is. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year at Miss America was the first full-on Miss America 2.0 production. And it was kind of weird. Like they didn't do an evening gown competition they had contestants do like a ted talk about their platform which i liked it was more you know you got to know them a little bit better rather than just having them answer an onstage question which i've gone to watch miss america a few times and it's kind of baffling in person in person yeah so i watched the prelim nights and the final night live so i saw everyone answer their onstage question and it is so dull and i don't know how so many state title holders get to miss america and just biff their onstage stage question like it's so bad so i think the ted talk thing is better yeah. but i think on the live broadcast you only saw six or eight or so of them do it so i can't imagine watching 50 of them i think that would yeah. be pretty draining also i mean how were they limited to a number a time limit yeah so miss america is not happening this year which means i think very few state pageants had happened so like my mom and i are helping a few contestants prepare for miss minnesota and they haven't gotten to compete they'll get to compete next year mm-hmm. they're won't be another Miss America, I think, until maybe late 2021 or 2020. early 2022. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, what's the reason? COVID 19. Oh, well, yeah. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe there was something else. Okay. No, no, it's, it's, COVID-19. I wanted to mention this too. In 2001, so the pageant was in September and my friend Catherine Card now Canoodala, her older sister, Carrie Heisler Canoodala at the time was Miss Minnesota and she competed the year that September 11th happened in 2001. And they asked all of the contestants, do you want to still compete? Uh-huh. And they unanimously decided, yes, Mm -hmm. Uh, we think we owe this to the country. We're doing it in honor. And whoever wins Miss America is she's going to serve and be a responder, Mm -hmm. uh, like a public figure responder in this time. And so I've always gotten the feeling that that class had a really special connection. Yeah. Yeah. And then another random fun fact, Heather French Henry, Miss America 2000 has a gold crown instead of uh, a silver crown because she's the millennial uh, or millennium. Oh, really? Miss America. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's cool. That's just a fun little factoid. Yeah. And Miss America's about to be a hundred years old. It is, yeah. Right. Isn't that strange though that they of course COVID came around and screwed everything up, but isn't it it kind of almost feels a little empty that we can't celebrate the pageant. Or is there a way to celebrate the pageant, even though it's actually not happening? I'm not really sure. But this has happened before. So 
during right. the Great Depression, there oh. wasn't. Oh, I suppose Miss America. Suppose right. Yeah, yeah. So this is just another crazy Blip. chapter in its history. Yeah. Well, thanks for that breakdown of the history. It seems like it's really evolved over the t- mm-hmm. over time, and I think sometimes it gets a bad rap. Or there's it this, does. This, yeah. Yeah. There's this idea that it's only just a googly eye fest or something. You just like look at the girls and all, the, and they don't really have any substance underneath. Or or you see the one contestant that I, I'm particularly thinking of the the famous South Dakota. Uh, Miss South Dakota that like South Carolina with like the Iraq and Car- such as it was South Carolina yeah okay South- but that Sorry. was not the Miss America organization so you brought this up already Donald Trump was actually involved with the Miss USA organization right okay that's the thing I always mix up is Miss yep. America versus Miss USA okay mm-hmm. so Miss America is a nonprofit organization that is focused on well actually so the crown has four points and the four points are service success style and scholarship mm-hmm. so that's what Miss America stands for Miss USA is for profit you have to pay to be in the pageant I think it's like two thousand dollars to enter a state pageant and it's glitz and glam and beauty and you have makeup artists and hair artists that will put you together for the show at Miss America even at the national level you have to do all of that yourself Miss USA and Miss Teen USA live in an apartment together in New York and they're mainly focused on modeling so Miss USA does only have three categories maybe this is where I went astray in my research there's interview swimsuit and evening gown and that's it Mm -hmm. and they're all equal parts of the score I mean, I must not be the only person that confuses this quite often. Oh, no, absolutely. (laughs) And it seems like that the publicity of Miss USA overwhelms the publicity that Miss America gets or that whatever. It could be. And I think that's why Miss America wanted to get rid of swimsuit was to diversify themselves more because a defining factor was that Miss America has talent and Miss USA doesn't. But the jobs are just so entirely different. And then the argument was, how often does Miss America dress in a swimsuit during her year? service Mm -hmm. never never no or at least i not yet (laughs) yeah and also like how often does she perform her talent not that often unless she's a singer but right that's I mean, people have all these opinions about talent. And I think, okay, so when Gretchen Carlson won Miss America, she could mm-hmm. play, I think, Zygunarizen starts with this meditative part, but I think she played maybe the last phrase of that and then all of the fast parts. So she had time to do that. Mm-hmm. When I competed, I had two minutes to perform my talent. That was the maximum. So what and did you... then it got cut down to 90 seconds. What? Yep. So all you can play is the flight of a bumble. <laughs> the flight yeah, which... of the bumble, bumble patty is... <laughs> <laughs> the bumble patty. Yeah, I actually never played that. But yeah, I had to do some significant cutting and pasting of these pieces that I wanted to play. That it, is... it was usually like an exposition, but then take the coda from the very end. I see. Would you have a pianist or would it be unaccompanied? Oh, Miss America used to have a pit orchestra. That's awesome. Um, but, then... but, but then it became recorded tracks. So I made all Dang of it. my tracks. <laughs> Yeah, I just because like, you know, we lost jobs. (laughs) I know. And how cool would it have been to play with an orchestra? But I think it just got to be too complicated. My last year at Miss Louisiana, the year I aged out, I played an unaccompanied piece. I had my friend Chris Lowry, who's a composer and a violist. He combined When the Saints Go Marching In, which is a very important piece to Louisiana culture Mm -hmm. with Isai's Third Sonata. Oh, yeah. I have a video. I'll, I'll send it to you. It was really yeah. cool. And I, I didn't even have time to play all of the stuff that he wrote. Actually, I cut out most of Isai's part. It kind of like, it starts with when the saints go marching in and then it blends into Isai and no one liked it. <laughs> <laughs> 
It didn't go over very well, <laughs> but I like it. So or maybe it's an acquired taste. I don't know. <laughs> it might be, <laughs> but you know, at that point, I had graduated with my master of music, and I was like, well, I can't play something easy. Like I have to challenge myself, and I have to show my technique, and mm-hmm. it just wasn't what they wanted to hear. That's so unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was the one time I played unaccompanied. You know, we talked about uh, Miss USA has three categories, three scoring categories, mm-hmm. um, and they're all 33% of the score. Right. When I competed, here was the breakdown of the scores. Interview was 25% of the score. On stage question was 5%. Evening gown was 20. Swimsuit was 15. And talent was 35. So talent was the biggest portion. But it was explained to me later that if you add interview and on stage question, that's 30%. And then evening gown and swimsuit, that's 35%. And then talent. 35%. So it's basically a third of your score is talent, and then a third of your score is beauty, and a third of your score is communicating. Right. And I don't know what the scoring is now. It, it, the whole thing doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. But, but that's fine. I have like one quick question. Mm-hmm. How often do the candidates in Miss America do Miss USA and vice versa? Is there a lot of interchange mm. between those two? Or are yeah. they kind of treated as one sort of like, well, that's just the trash one and this one's the respectable <laughs> one or whatever, you know? That is kind of how it was viewed when I was competing. But the older I got, the more I was like, you know, it's just different goals. And more recently in Minnesota, there was a lot of crossover because the age limit to compete for Miss USA is actually higher than that at Miss America. Okay. So that was part of it. Also in Miss America 2.0, I think they raised the age limit by a couple of years. It used to be 23 was the last year you could compete in a local. So you could be as old as 24 or 25 if your birthday fell in just the right spot. I see. That's what at the national pageant. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't compete at a local at 25 because by the time you got to Miss America, you'd be far too old. You'd be uh, yeah, decrepit old, old woman. That, I'm yeah. just making jokes. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think for a long time, it's been 26 for Miss USA. So that's like a whole, that's three more seasons that you could get in. So the crossover in the South is crazy. Um, There's something called the Triple Crown, which is winning Miss Teen USA, Miss USA, and Miss America, or like the state level, because it's pretty hard to do all of those at the national level. Right. Um, I'm assuming it hasn't been done yet. I don't think so. It's And also at the national level, it's just such a crapshoot. Like you never know what they're looking for. That's, I mean, you just go in as the best version of yourself and hope for the best it, yeah Do you just best. show them what you've got and if they choose you they choose you if they don't it hurts but it's like well i gave it my all mm-hmm. so yeah the triple crown is winning all three and i guess now there's a t- quadruple crown which is way less fun to say because uh, miss america has a little sister program too so right. uh, but i don't think it's as common for teens to cross over okay so that's what we call them we call them crossovers uh-huh. and i was a state hopper because i competed in two states right right so can i ask you about your involvement and I mean, I guess I alluded to it because I asked, was your inspiration partially from uh, Mary West and having that poster of Gretchen in the studio? But it sounds also like your mom is pretty involved in pageants. Is that because of you or was she it's, already? It's because of me. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. did you like walk home or I, I, why were you walking? Did you go home <laughs> one day and did you just say, mom, I want to do this? So I mentioned I competed in the National American Miss pageant. I think that was my freshman year of high school. And I was so awkward and shy and I didn't have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, I'll say that. So I didn't do it again. But then my best friend, Brianne competed in Miss Lionel Lakes, our junior year of high school. And that was a different experience because they actually sent letters to everyone in the district, all the girls in the district. And she was eligible a year before me because her birthday is in October and mine's in 
August. So she was always old for the year and I was always young for the year. And she kept telling me about like all the activities they did leading up to the pageant and all this stuff. And then I saw it and I was like, you know, this is something I could do. So we, we both did it the next year and then I was hooked. But Miss mm-hmm. Lionel Lakes didn't have talent. And so I started doing my research and I reached out to just everybody. And Kathy was the director of Miss Twin Cities at the time. And I had just gone to school at the University of Minnesota in the Twin Cities. So I was like, oh, this is really close. And Kathy's also the email queen. So she got back to me minutes after I sent an email. Mm-hmm. And I had missed the orientation. The rehearsals hadn't started yet. And I was like, I'm not sure. Like, maybe I'll do a year of community service because I'd never really done any before. And then she's like, yeah, maybe next year would be better. But then I was like, no, I want to do this. So I was like, you know, I do have a talent because she, I think she mentioned like I should work on my talent too. And I was like, well, I do have a talent. I'm going to school for music. I play the violin. And then she was like, all right, you're in. So I quickly wrote up my platform statement and uh, my platform statement was alcohol awareness, which is hilarious (laughs) now. That's one of the things, um, what I gained is all these friendships. And I think it's really important, especially going to music school, even at a university where you're taking other classes, but the music school just has this bubble. So I was meeting people in different professions, different majors, different schools who just had such complete different experiences for me. And I think it really helped me learn how to talk to non-musicians about music. Yeah, we Um, need more of that. (laughs) We really do. And I thank the Miss America organization 100% Mm -hmm. for training for helping. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't just the organization, but it was, you know, I worked with a coach. One of the other things I gained was interview skills. I was awful. Like I didn't know how to have a conversation in a high pressure situation. So like no job interview ever has scared me Mm -hmm. ever because I've had so much training and onstage question really prepares you for anything because I think you only have like 15 seconds to answer so you have to really think about what you're gonna say and make sure you're concise yikes i'm bad at that (laughs) yeah oh with interview also the mental game so private interview was usually the first thing that happened in the competition it's a nine and a half minutes of questions and then you have 30 seconds to make a closing statement if you choose so one of the things i practiced too for interview was having something to say that would make them remember me on stage Mm -hmm. or when you get really good at your closing statement statement, you would tie whatever last question they had asked you into your answer. So my coach, Stacey McBride-Cox, was very helpful for me throughout my pageant career. Oh, and also Kathy Shellum, I did eventually win her pageant. I was Miss Capital City. One of the things Stacey said when I was preparing is everyone will have their interview and then everyone's going to want to talk about it. But what happens to one contestant in the interview is so different. You know, the tone of your interview is so individual and it's the first impression. And so that can influence the judges scoring on stage later so what Stacy said was don't talk to anyone else about their interview don't share anything about yours because it'll make you second guess what happened Mm-hmm. And that's very relatable to auditions because oh you never know what the panel is thinking. And in orchestra audition, you can't even see the panel in the first right. round. So you really don't know what they're thinking. There's one audition I was doing for New Century and I had this troll. Like, so sometimes when you show up to an audition, there's just this giant room that you all have to warm up in together. The shark tank. Yeah. So I showed up and I just playing some open strings just to try to slow my heart rate. And there's this troll in this room with me. And whatever string I was playing, he'd start playing something in that key <laughs> and so then i would change my string and then he would change his tune to that key and i was like what are buddy you can doing? you stop 
<laughs> yeah, or it's like you're going to waste your time trying to sabotage me. Yeah, and that's how it could feel sometimes in the dressing room because, you know, the Shark Tank was our dressing room. We were all in the same. Depending on how big the competition was, sometimes you'd be split up into two. But I remember at state, you're also living with all of these contestants throughout the week. I so it's just a that. lot of together time. Yeah, at Miss Minnesota, we have a hotel sponsor and we would stay uh, with one roommate. And I got super lucky both years. I had excellent roommates. Talent, I learned really how to perform. I didn't win talent a lot at first. That was kind of a question because I always, you see the violinists play and I never know how well they end up doing. And I don't know if that's because the judges don't know how to judge it. Sometimes that's it, but I, I wasn't performing. So yeah, I learned how to perform. I walked around the stage. I smiled. And these are things that I wish I could feel comfortable doing now because like, how cool would that be to have a performer who's inviting like that? But I mean, keeping up that stamina for like an entire concerto, even a concerto movement is kind of a lot to ask. <laughs> what did I learn from swimming? suit. First off, how to take care of myself. I did do gymnastics, so I was getting all this physical activity and working really hard without, you know, when you're young, you don't think about it. Right. But I could eat anything and everything, and I was still, I thought of myself as this skinny little alien. I was actually very self-conscious about my body because I had huge arms, huge muscular arms, and then the rest of me was just tiny. But having to walk on stage in a swimsuit and you wore heels, it takes something. And I remember one time in the introduction, it mentioned that it's a looking for emotional health because you can't do that if you're not feeling good about yourself and it took a lot for me to finally feel super confident in swimsuit. I learned a lot about how to actually take care of myself, how to eat, how to exercise, because I'd like never really had to do that because I was so small. It was something that I never thought to do. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I guess the one last thing was, so my last year at Miss Louisiana in 2013 was the year I aged out. And it was the first time at state that I didn't even make the top 10. So I didn't get to compete at all on finals night. And it broke my heart because yeah. I, I wanted to be Miss America, which which is why I was competing in Louisiana where I was doing my service work. Yeah, it's like having all of your dreams crushed. You know, I had just finished grad school and then this dream is just like in the, I knew it, like they announced the first couple in the top 10 and then I just had this feeling, I was like, I'm not in the top 10 this year. I, I just yeah. know it. And, but even so it, it hurt and I had this quarter life crisis where I was kind of like, what am I going to do? And the more I've thought about it, the more I've realized it's good to have goals and it's good to work hard to achieve those goals. But that goal cannot be the end-all be-all because say I had won Miss Louisiana that year. Mm -hmm. I would have gone to Miss America and I think anything better than winning, I still would have been crushed. I could have been in the top five and I would have been like, I, that wasn't good enough. I could have also not placed at all in the competition and I'd be like, cool, I'm just another state title holder that didn't do anything at Miss America. And it's like, no, going to Miss America is such a big deal in and of itself. Even if I had won Miss America, my favorite Miss America to date is still Katie Stamm. Miss America 2009. I've met her a couple times and she's just so perfect. Like she's warm and inviting and engaging. And, and I think if I had won Miss America and not been as well liked as she was, that still would have been, Artistic. I'm not good enough. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, even at the end of your year as Miss Louisiana, Miss America, you're done. There are stories of Miss Americas who give up their title and then suddenly there are all these people with cameras and they're like, Miss America, Miss America. And the outgoing title holder is like, oh, that's not me anymore. And it's right. like, it's all, it's all over in an instant. So you always have to have something that's next. It's goals are great. Working hard for them is great. Sometimes you'll get there. Sometimes you won't. And you need something 
something else. You need another Mount Everest. Mount Everest can't always be the thing that you've done and achieved. Right. And I think that is so pertinent because I think sometimes we think that we're working for a specific goal and we usually are, but we're, as you were describing earlier, you, you're accumulating other skills that get you to that point. And whether mm-hmm. or not it actually works out or not, the end is almost irrelevant. It ends up being the skills that you develop, that you hone in for the rest of your life that end up being the winning um, thing. I don't know. What that. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like there was one time that I had like 15 days notice to send in a recorded audition for the Minnesota Orchestra. And I like freaked out about it and sent it in and I didn't get a live audition. And I was kind of complaining about that to someone. And his response was, well, didn't you get a lot better in those 15 days maybe than you did in the past few months? And I was like, you know what? You're right. I did. I worked really hard for that. And I'm at a different level now because mm-hmm. because of that, even though I didn't get what I wanted. Exactly. Even the things that you think are what you want and you end up getting are not always what you really, really wanted. And that and that's yeah. a whole other identity crisis situation too. Yeah, that's true. And also looking back, I wouldn't have been a good Miss Louisiana. Like I thought I, I had all the stage goods. Mm-hmm. But if I look back at how gracious Katie Stam was, I'm not that person. And you know what? That's a state title holder and Miss America's job is to be, even if you're an introvert, to be outgoing and to make people feel at ease. Miss Louisiana in the job description is you are the hostess for the state. Mm -hmm. And Hope Anderson was the first Miss Louisiana that I met. And she was that, like even at Miss America. Honestly, I mean, maybe we'll have to invite you back (laughs) to talk more (laughs) about this because it's in a similar way to music. I feel like the pageant world is something that is a bubble in its own way and not, and it it, it has a lot of misconceptions, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm even in this podcast, this episode, I'm just like, you could write a book on on your experience in the pageant world itself. we'll see what happens but if you if you'd be willing to come back and talk about it or something else absolutely (laughs) yeah i mean you know i went through this quarter life crisis i didn't go out with a bang like i'd hoped to so it's nice to come back and reflect on my time in a different way and come back refreshed Mm -hmm. because it's been now seven years since i competed and it was really fun to dive back into the history too like i had a lot of it just up here but i putting it down on paper and, and actually yeah yeah and actually making sure I got the details correct. And I learned a couple things too, which was really cool. There's so much history there. So much. Yeah. And for whatever reason, we don't know a lot about it. It seems like we don't talk about it or it's just, if you just decide to be in that world, then you know everything about it. But yeah, anyway. So I have a question that I've been asking my guests at the end of every episode, which is after all the impact that COVID has done to classical music, what do you think is something positive about this that will enhance or carry on in our profession? I think an appreciation for both audience members and musicians for those live performances and for really being able to interact or experience people being together and making Mm -hmm. music together in that way. Yeah. Well, I think people have started to realize that they may have been taking live performances for granted and that just listening to a recording of some of the same piece is not nearly the same experience as it is in the moment yeah i totally agree with you and i hope that it will boost interest for the i'm hoping so too yeah and we'll see when can we have a big audience again yeah do you want to just last minute plug any of the plug any of the things that you uh plug all my stuff i know i I could not say it. That's a callback to, um, I think, Patty's very first episode with me on yes. Pour Me a Mozart. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't really have all that much to plug, just like 
I don't know, I occasionally post videos of me playing duets with me on my Instagram. It's at Violining Asia. The podcast, again, is Poor Me a Mozart. Patty's on it, too, so you should Yay. listen for her. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. It's free. Or visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash music stand. You can also access more content and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at music stand. Also, another free way to support this podcast is to leave a rating on iTunes and write a review. A positive review would probably be the best. <laughs> yeah. I would like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I also But I suppose constructive criticism is good. I was about to say I also will appreciate any feedback. And you can also email us at hideinmusicstand at gmail.com for the constructive criticism. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Make it not public. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks Asia for being a part of this. Yeah, I, thanks so for much having me. me. Yeah. Until next time, for sure. Until next time. Sushi say bye. Do 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 do